0: The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment.
1: Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Jane Hersey, is the National Director of the nonprofit Fine Gold Association which helps families identify foods and food additives that cause learning, behavioral, and health issues in children. A former teacher and Head Start consultant, Hersey has testified before the National Institutes of Health, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and Congress about the role of diet in the rise of ADHD. She's here today on Health Watch to talk about her book, Why Can't My Child Behave? Welcome to Health Watch, Jane Hersey.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Naaman. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: So... Tell us, when in the title, Why Can't My Child Behave, what are some of the behaviors you're, re- you're referring to in the book?
0: Well, you know, some of these children uh, have extreme behaviors, but many of the children, I like to say they're like all other kids, only a whole lot more so. And in my experience, um, the, one of the major characteristics, and it just isn't just a, applying to children, it applies to adults as well, and that is that they have a short fuse. They get upset too easily. Now, they may have additional problems like distractibility or short attention span. Uh, they may be impatient, which my husband uh, certainly fit into that category before we found the Feingold Diet. Some of the children might be disruptive or aggressive. Um, and then they might have various symptoms. It could be anything from night terrors, nightmares, bedwetting, uh, being extremely sensitive to things like touch and sound, lights, uh, they could have frequent ear infections, asthma hives, etc. cetera. The uh, connection between certain food additives and these physical problems, such as asthma and hives, goes way, way back. Uh, you can look in the allergy literature back as far as the late 1950s and see links there. So it really is, in a way, it's very perplexing because a single food additive can affect different people in very different ways, uh, and we have had experience with people with a, a huge number of uh, problems. But I would say that the thing we focus on most of all is how things in our food affect the way we behave. And,
1: and in the beginning of the book, Jane, you, you say that good parenting techniques that are useful for most children are not useful for chemically sensitive children. Can you, can you tell us right. more about what you mean by that?
0: Right. Well, you know, I I tell people uh, my my little girl never read the book. <laughs> she uh, there were there were books that were had wonderful ideas about parenting, but they didn't apply. And I guess the best analogy I could use is if somebody has had too much alcohol, then gold stars are not going to mean a thing to them. So for these children, while they are under. I may be a little extreme to say under the influence, but while they are reacting to some of the synthetic chemicals in their food, and keep in mind most of these chemicals are derived from petroleum, and while a child is having a reaction to a powerful chemical, they themselves are not able to control how they behave. And I don't see how you can modify the behavior of somebody who is not able to control their own behavior. Uh, You you can't talk somebody out of being drunk, for example. So while my daughter was uh, affected by things like food dyes, artificial flavor, certain preservatives, it didn't really matter what parenting skills I used. It really wasn't going to have any effect, and it didn't. But once I understood that she was being chemically affected, uh, and I understood that psychological solutions don't work for chemical problems, uh, and then I removed these, these offending chemicals. Then she was able to control uh, her behavior. She was able to uh, behave in, in ways that were appropriate. And then the parenting skills, then the techniques were very good. But not while she was, you, you could almost compare it to somebody who was high on drugs. Uh, you're not going to get through to them until the offending chemicals are out of their system.
1: And then it will work fine. Tell us, Jane, about some of the offending chemicals that are common in our food supply that uh, people might not be aware of or looking for in terms of food mood reactions.
0: Right. Well, you know, like most of the people in this country, I had no idea that things like food dyes and today that artificial flavors and some preservatives, I had no idea that those were derived from petroleum, which is crude oil, like or what gasoline comes from. And I thought, well, you know, they came from berries or vegetables or something like that. And I also used to believe, well... If a food additive was harmful, then the Food and Drug Administration would never allow it to be put in our food. And I'll I'll pause while people laugh. If you like, (laughs) Um, that was in the old days, and and that was back when doctors were endorsing cigarettes. So so I've learned a few things since then. Um, The major additives that we focus on are our petroleum derivatives. We also focus on some of the worst of the synthetic sweeteners, things like aspartame and Splenda. But the one of the biggies is the food dyes. And Dr. Feingold, who was an eminent physician in uh, Chief of Allergy in, in Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco, he knew as an allergist that a person can be sensitive to virtually anything. But when you look at everything that's out there, if you have to select what what seemed to be the worst offenders and also the most unnecessary chemicals. Uh, this is why he came up with his list, putting food dyes, artificial flavors, and a couple of preservatives as the top of the list. These are the things he said, well, let's start with this. These seem to bother the most people. And uh, also when he did this work back in the mid-'60s and early-'70s, It was uh, not only were people unaware that things you eat could affect your behavior, but believe it or not, back then, people, most people did not understand that the food you ate had a direct connection on your health. Now, today it seems ludicrous. Well, you know, duh, of course, everybody knows that. But everybody didn't. And if you think about the fact that the 70s. It wasn't that far from the time that uh, astronauts landed on the moon, and uh, they they brought dehydrated food-like stuff. Um, everything that was scientific and modern was was uh, romanticized. You know, this was anything new and modern was really cool, and so the sort of things that people had been eating for generations uh, seemed very old-fashioned and. and duddy, and so I, like many other people, thought, oh well, let's see, you know what what the chemi- or what the uh, the modern food industry today I would say what the chemical industry what the modern food industry has in store for us, and you know I wanted to be one of these modern homemakers with my convenience foods and, and all of this stuff. Well, um, modern is fine, but when you're eating stuff that isn't food, it causes trouble.
1: In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to Jane Hersey, the director of the nonprofit Feingold Association, about her book, Why Can't My Child Behave? Jane, so uh, you mentioned the FDA and its lax oversight. Are there other countries that are banning some of these substances? And are there some studies that are more contemporary that are noteworthy to you that you would, you would mention in terms of certain dyes or additives and their health effects?
0: Yes, there certainly are. And um, just a quick note about the studies. Our website, ADHDdiet.org, ADHDdiet.org, you can access a tremendous number of studies. There have been so many studies that have been done. But the one that has made the biggest splash uh, across the pond, if I can be corny, (laughs) is uh, a study that was uh, done in England, a study that took place there, and it was published in 2007. And what was a little bit unique about this study is that the group of children, a large group of children, were given things like food dye. And what they found was that the ADHD symptoms were showing up, not just in a select group of children who had the diagnosis ADHD, but all, virtually all of the children exhibited ADHD types of behaviors. Now, as parents in the Feingold Association, and we've been doing this work since the mid-1970s, we have had so much experience with so many thousands of families that it came as no surprise. But it did surprise the medical community. So here you have a very modest amount of synthetic food dyes and one preservative, sodium benzoate, being given to what I like to call regular kids, and they exhibited ADHD characteristics. So we know, and we have known this through our work with so many families, that the more of an additive you use, uh, the more children are going to uh, react to it, and the more you, you ingest, the more likely you are to have these problems. Now. This study was published in The Lancet, and it received a tremendous amount of attention worldwide, but particularly in England. Um, And the British government, in effect, said to the manufacturers, now that we know that these dyes are so harmful, uh, we want you to remove them from foods, because food additives uh, don't have to be derived from petroleum. Manufacturers can, and some do use colorings and preservatives and flavorings that are natural they've been available for really for almost forever Uh, people used to dye foods using things like carrot juice and grape juice etc so what the british government said to the manufacturers was take these harmful chemicals out or we're going to start to legislate it so that you have to and they did the manufacturers did replace the synthetic dyes with natural, etc., and then uh, this spread to the rest of Europe and the European Union. The Parliament for the European Union passed a regulation that if a food company uh, were to use one of these dyes in their foods, that they have to put a warning label on the product. Now, no food company wants to have to warn consumers that eating the product could, call, could cause activity or attention problems in children, which was what the labeling would be. So what happened was these multinational companies changed the foods in Europe and they replaced the synthetic dyes with natural dyes. Uh, the food doesn't really look much different. It looks the same, but it's certainly a whole lot healthier. And what we are saying here in the U.S. is, well, thank you very much, uh, Hershey and Kellogg and Kraft and everybody else, Mars for the MMs. Thank you for taking the dye out of the European versions. Now, how about the U.S. versions? You know, kids in the U.S. have reactions to these auditives too. It's not confined just to Europe. So, um, to pursue this, uh, we recently worked with Center for Science and the Public Interest, another nonprofit and with change.org. So if you go to change.org and look for the petition, there's a petition to the Mars Company to take the synthetic dyes out of their M&Ms and replace them with natural uh, dyes that don't create these problems with the same natural dyes that they're using in the M&Ms that they sell in Europe. So we're very excited. We've had over 100,000 signatures in a relatively short time, So Change.org has been working with us as well to let Mars Candy Company know that there are a lot of us who don't want to eat this stuff. So we're very excited
1: about that. Jane, we have a caller, so we're going to invite Leslie to ask a question. Leslie, you're on the air with Jane Hersey.
0: Um, Hi, Dr. Hersey. Um, Hello, Doctor. Um, I wanted to ask you what... So, what are you saying to these thousands of doctors who have been prescribing Ritalin and Prozac for children due to their behavior? Yeah, well, I think they mean well, but unfortunately, I think they're looking at the wrong thing. I think they should be, pardon me, I think they should be trying to figure out why a child is having a problem instead of just doing what is typical for uh, the the medical model, and that is look for the drug. Um, This is years ago when my husband suffered from horrible migraine headaches. These were headaches that would last three or four days, and all he could do is lie in a dark room. And he went from doctor to doctor. And it didn't occur to us back then, and it didn't occur to any of the doctors to say, gee, I wonder why you're getting migraines. Each doctor did exactly the same thing and wrote a prescription for a painkiller. Now, we didn't have pets, and uh, I have since learned that if you have a dog, for example, that appears to be sick and you take the dog to the vet, the first thing that he asks is, what are you feeding the animal? Now, you know, in retrospect, if, if my husband had gone to a veterinarian, he might have found a good answer to his migraines. But... See, when you take your child to a a doctor, a traditionally trained doctor, you are taking him there with the assumption that the child has a medical problem, that there's something not working right with the child. Well, if humans could eat petroleum and thrive, that would be rather abnormal. So when you go, when you select the the professional to whom you take your child, you're kind of making the diagnosis yourself. Uh, if you take your child to an allergist, he's going to look for allergies, uh, which may be there because a lot of these children are allergic. If you take your child to a neurologist, he's going to look uh, for neurological problems. Go to a chiropractor, he's going to look for uh Spinal
1: adjustment needs and stuff like that. Jane, Jane, um, just let me jump in and ask a question here. Uh, so, if we have listeners who have children with behavioral issues and they want to see how much or little benefit from doing the Feingold diet mm-hmm. is, they can't just reduce some of these things, correct? They have to actually eliminate them entirely in order to assess the effect of of how much they're causing the problem. Can you walk us through how sure. how somebody doing the Feingold diet would do it?
0: Right. Yes, I'd be happy to. And when I first learned about this, I, I, what I say, dabbled. I dabbled in it. I made a few little changes, and I thought, well, if I make a few changes, I should see a few improvements in my daughter's behavior. Uh, I saw nothing at all. And, frankly, at that time I felt overwhelmed, so I thought, oh, good, I don't want to do this anyway. But when I really did it, uh, when I really took out, Not just most or part, but all of the offending additives. The change in my daughter was so fast and so dramatic that there was just no going back. Pardon me. And that was back in 1975 (laughs) that I did that. And I am not somebody who likes to work any harder than I need to. I find using the program is, is unbelievably simple. We've been benefiting from it for so many years. Our grandchildren are benefiting. Our children certainly did. My husband hasn't had a migraine since 1975. So really what I tell uh, families, Dr. Neyman, is if you want to just remove some of the additives because you want to improve the health of your family and you just don't want to eat that stuff, that's fine. But if you have a child who's having problems or a family member who's having problems, Um, give it a really careful try, and we really make it easy for you. It's not that difficult. For example, instead of buying one version of a cake mix, you buy a different version. Or instead of buying this mac and cheese mix with the yellow five and six, you buy this mac and cheese mix with the natural coloring or without dye. Uh, So we do all that work we show you, how you can go to the supermarket and find the foods that you like, but in a much better version. So we do encourage people, give it a careful try. It isn't that hard. Do it for a couple weeks. What you're going to find is that you'll be eating food that's of a much better quality, and you'll probably decide that it tastes a whole lot better. Uh, I know that we went from really kind of junky tastes to food that I consider gourmet. Now, of course, I don't pay gourmet prices, but we eat real natural healthy food. We can have convenience foods. Uh, we can buy frozen foods. We can buy mixes, but we know which ones to buy because the association uh, does this research, and it publishes this information.
1: So, so Jane, there's an interesting part of, of your book, Why Can't My Child Behave, around acetylsalicylic acid, how there's a s- subset of people who, if they remove the food additives and food dyes, they don't get enough benefit, and they need to also look at this other uh, issue around this uh, substance. Can you explain that a little bit to us?
0: Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, this is the quirky part of the Fine program. Most people, when they realize that these additives that we focus on are made from petroleum and sometimes from other un- very undesirable chemicals, it's not a big loss to give them up. But the quirky thing is this, that there are some foods and a few other items like aspirin and medicine with aspirin, there are some things that have a naturally occurring chemical that can be a real irritant for some people. And uh, what I ask people is when they're puzzled about it, because it is puzzling, I ask them if they've ever known anybody who gets hives when they eat strawberries. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with strawberries. They're a very healthy food. But there is a chemical that grows in the plant. The, the plant actually creates this chemical, and this can be an irritant for some people. So some individuals just have to stay away from strawberries. And for another person, it could be apples. For another person, it could be grapes or tomatoes. Usually, a person is only sensitive to a few of them, maybe one or two of them, Um, Many of our members are not at all sensitive to these things. We call them natural salicylates. But since some people are, what we encourage folks to do is, at the beginning of the program, get rid of the petroleum-based additives. And frankly, nobody needs them. You're not going to miss them. It's so easy to find uh, alternatives that don't have them. But at the same time, we encourage you, to run a test where you take away uh, many of the common fruits and a few other foods. So, for example, if your child is accustomed to drinking apple juice, we would encourage you to replace the apple juice with pear juice, which is well-tolerated. We encourage people to replace the salicylate foods with non-salicylate. So pears instead of apples. You can use pineapple instead of orange. You can use all the melons and bananas. And for some quirky reason, uh, grapefruit, lemon, and lime are well-tolerated, but oranges and tangerines are not. Uh, There's not a lot of research, certainly no new research, on salicylates and why they can be a problem for some people. But we know that a percentage, a fairly small percentage of our members can have a real major problem with one or more of these things. So let's take them away at the beginning, see what happens, and then when you're doing well, you can start to reintroduce them. And the good news is, particularly for children, that if they stay away from the, from these uh, salicylates that they're sensitive to for a while, they usually can reintroduce them later on. So it's, it's kind of a nuisance to have to go without apples and oranges and tomatoes for a while, but we guide you through it. And what I found with my family is that although I gave up, temporarily gave up some of the foods we liked, there were so many new foods that I normally hadn't used. Uh, And actually we expanded our diet because uh, we tried new things and they became favorites very quickly.
1: And what are your thoughts on sugar? I know sugar isn't prohibited on the diet. Uh, do okay. you feel like it is involved in hyperactivity or behavioral issues in children?
0: I, I think it's involved only well let me let me restate that. There are a small number of children or a small percentage who don't do well with it at all. Uh, I think most we find that most children, if they eat sugar. In too great a quantity, they have problems. If they eat it on an empty stomach, they are likely to have problems. But having said that, uh, sugar is not the big bad guy that most people make it out to be. If you think about it, uh, people have eaten sugar for a long time, maybe not as much as they do today. But when I was a child back in the Stone Age, (laughs) I ate plenty of sugar, and if you don't believe me, ask my dentist. (laughs) But sugar isn't the big problem. The problem is that foods that are high in sugar tend to have things like artificial colors, artificial flavors, and certain preservatives. So when people say sugar makes him hyperactive, they often use the word sugar to mean sugary foods or candy well the junk food in the supermarket uh, not too much of it has sugar it has high fructose corn syrup so we're not even talking about sugar but what we find here at the feingold association is sugary foods are fine don't overdo them try to make sure the child's had a decent meal first and then go ahead and enjoy it now here's why sugar is very important and uh, treats and ice cream and cookies and those things are important in our program. The reason why is that we don't want a child to believe, or an adult for that matter, to believe that this is some sort of a punishment. There are a lot of pristine, pure diets out there where you get rid of processed foods, you get rid of all sugars, you get rid of desserts, et cetera, et cetera. Well, try to tell that to a nine-year-old okay, we're going to go on this diet, and you're not going to have any of the foods you like anymore, Uh, that doesn't exactly gain cooperation. So one of the main reasons why we like to be able to uh, offer children sugary things is that we want them to buy into this and to want to do it. And it has worked very, very well at the beginning of the program. Uh, they eat the foods that they normally would eat, but, of course, without the additives. Now, once the child's behavior and focus has improved, once things are going well, then you can start to gradually cut back and get healthier and healthier food. But gaining the child's cooperation is is the key to the program being so effective. Uh, and these children, they know that... They can turn down the lollipop that they get from the bank, and mom will give them a natural one. They don't have to give up anything. And this is why we don't have a big problem with children cheating on the diet. We can give, we give them what they like. Now, as I say, once they're established on the program, then you can gradually start to cut back on the sugar, and uh, the kids are fine with that. But um, a well, perfect Jane, diet that a child will do is not going to help.
1: Sure. So, Jane, unfortunately, we, we don't have time to go into some of your other suggestions around uh, supplements or other things that people could look at for for uh, childhood behavioral issues. But perhaps you can give the website again, and sure. people can go there if they're looking for more information.
0: Oh, I'd be glad to give it. It's ADHDdiet.org, ADHDdiet.org. And we cover those issues on our website, in my book. Uh, Yes, I I wish we had more time because we have so much practical, useful information, and uh, we love sharing it.
1: It was great having you on Health Watch today.
0: Thank you so much.
1: We are talking today with Jane Hersey, the national director of the nonprofit Feingold Association, about her book, Why Can't My Child Behave? You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.